Get in on the action and make your bet with Sports Interaction. The F1 schedule is heating up. Will you go with the O, Reliable, and Max Verstappen? Or take your chance with a potential surprise. Download the app in Ontario. Use the QR code you see at the bottom of your screen somewhere. Or head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Welcome to Nailing the Apex. I'm Tim Haraney. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write reviews. It really helps us grow the show. You can follow me on social media at Tim Haraney. Joining me to go through the Monaco Grand Prix in a wild Indy 500 from the Scuderia F1 pod, it's Mark Daly. Mark, how are you? I'm doing really, really good. Thanks, uh, Tim. What an exciting Sunday, man. There's been so much good stuff to watch all weekend. Oh, yeah. It's been good. Uh, if you want more from Mark, you can get him on social media at Scuderia F1 Pod. Let's start with Red Bull. Actually, we'll start with the Monaco Grand Prix, obviously. We'll start with Red Bull, in particular Max Verstappen. Because uh, I want to touch on his qualifying lap and, and, and all of this, but I just want to get your take on this, Mark, because mm-hmm. I th- I think this... this I, I think what we saw this weekend from Max Verstappen was really the complete driver. I don't know how you feel about that. Because usually we're used to seeing Max being uber aggressive. But yep. in qualifying, he had to be uber aggressive. But in the race, it all came down to patience. Yeah, it did, right? And the interesting thing about like the the, the whole weekend, like you said, it, it was just like the complete drive from Max. And I mean, let's not forget that before he set that pole time, Fernando went out there and set a time that I don't think anyone expected that 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 Max was going to be able to beat because Max was not setting like any purple sectors in sector one and sector two, and then somewhere in that sector three, which is the shortest of the three segments at, at Monaco, somewhere he he finds this magic and then beats Fernando's time by what was it like eight thousandths of a second or hundreds of a yep. second yeah eight hundredths of a yeah. second just brilliant stuff and again today on Sunday again brilliant stuff uh, for Max I mean you know you always get like a little bit of uh, you know pushing and shoving when you go down and turn one in San Devo but he kept out front and he had a little bit of uh, I wouldn't say luck but man did he make those medium tires last or what mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. amazing tire management I would say so. I went. I did a TikTok on Verstappen's pole winning lap, and I was going through some screen caps that I'd taken off of his onboard camera, and I was looking, like zooming in to see how close he was getting to some of the barriers, and like where was he making up a lot of the time on Fernando because everyone was like, "Well, he was great through the swimming pool. And yeah, he was. He was excellent through the swimming pool and you can gain a lot of time back, but that's actually not where he gained all of his time back. He gained most, or if not all of the time back in the breaking zone into turn 18 and then also at the apex of turn 18, 19. Because if you zoom in on that, he is literally like a millimeter from just ripping the front right corner off of the car. And then coming out of 19, he was able to just get back to the power sooner than Fernando was. But again, he drives it all the way out to the wall. And at that moment, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this guy was so aggressive that he was either (laughs) going to crash, destroy this whole freaking car, or he was going to get pulled. Yeah. And And I am dead set on... 
the two different facts of Max Verstappen where one he's so freaking aggressive and committed and then the other part of it daily is he had to have the patience and rein in that aggression throughout the race you make a great point about that medium tire man because that thing was toast that was absolutely toast it was so grained up and i don't know how he kept it out of the barriers once it started raining like it was pouring and he kept it off the wall daily well, I mean, considering Magnuson went to full wets and he couldn't keep it on the track even. It was it was just crazy because, I mean, they, they said at the start of the race they were expecting the medium runners would be pitting somewhere from lap 30 to 38. And then there was this kind of this ongoing narrative the entire race that maybe there's race co- or rain coming in five laps or ten laps or don't worry, we might get a little bit of rain at the end of the race. And then some guys are getting the, um, the, the call from the pit, well, don't worry about it, it's not going to rain at all. And all of a sudden, it seemed like somebody just turned on a switch because down at the back end of the track before you go down into the tunnel there you go down the hill through the 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 hairpins it's just like it was just pouring there and then you know fernando comes into the pits he goes to pits for dry tires which seemed like the absolute right call at the moment but before he even leaves the pit lane (laughs) it's raining to the pit lane too and you know you could say well max just kind of got lucky but not really. I mean, there there was a gamble in that. I mean, they, they gambled on running as long as they did without pitting to go to the hard tires. Because I think that if it didn't rain, I think that Fernando and Aston Martin made a pretty brave call to go with the hard tires. And knowing that it was completely opposite to Max, who started on the mediums, knowing that he's going to have the softer, faster rubber at the end, where Max is yeah. going to have the hard tires too. And you could tell, because right off of the start... You know, Max, he's he's pushing, but he's not pushing as hard as he can. But you can tell is that that gap is getting up to 11, 12 seconds, which is kind of what you would expect in that delta between the two tire compounds. So, you know, it was just interesting to watch. I thought um, Sergio Perez had an interesting weekend. Uh, you know, stacking it up in, in qualifying is not an ideal thing to do obviously and for Sergio who's trying to win a championship here I mean he's not doing himself any favors daily like (laughs) he smoked that turn one exit wall like he absolutely smoked it and the amount of speed the guy was carrying in to the turn was I'm because like when I watched it in in um real time i was like holy hell he was just hauling ass through there man unbelievable didn't have a great race i mean obviously when you're starting at the back it's gonna be super difficult to claw your way back and it's just unfortunate because you know like most i really want to see sergio put up a fight here daily Oh, yeah, totally, totally. But like you say, like Max, he was either going to put it into the wall or he was going to take pole. I think that that Sergio had pretty much that same aggressive mindset as his teammate did. It was Q1, though, right? Yeah, I know. It was too much. It was too much too soon. It's just like, dude, like, you know, all all you have to do is just make sure you're not in the bottom five, you know, two times and you got the car to do it. I mean, you basically have to just go out there, set an okay lap and you're good. You know, you don't need to worry about setting the fastest time or or anything like that. Save that for the, you know, maybe your second flying lap if you really got to like throw something down, but you're going to get you know, two pretty good shots in Q3, but I mean, if you don't even get out of Q1, I mean, forget it. And then, 
it was just, uh, <laughs> I mean, talk about some weekends where everything goes right and weekends where everything go wrong. I mean, he was just like after that incident in qualifying, it just, you know, just kind of degraded and kind of fell apart slowly from there, didn't it? Yeah, 100%. Um, Fernando Alonso, I mean, he was happy with, with coming home P2 at the end of this race. I, I think, you know, the team tried to be aggressive with going on the hard compounds, but yeah, Verstappen was just too much. He was too fast, too fast for them this this weekend, uh, Daly. I think, I think um, not even like I think he could have gone a little bit longer on the hard tire. But again, you then you know you're 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 trying you're you're rolling the dice at certain points when it comes to team strategy. Um, I mean, I think they did well not to get past coming in for that second stop. I think they did well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and especially that could have gone a, uh, really, really wrong, wrong way. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, especially like I was gonna say on a track like Monaco, where basically everything's a roll of the dice as it is. I mean, if you start kind of going too far off script, I mean, it just uh, it it just you know ends up uh, that that something might go wrong you might inadvertently shoot yourself in the foot just trying to get like a little bit too i don't know a little bit too fancy right rather than sticking to the strategy and you know i don't know how to 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 put that but i think you kind of get the gist of what i'm trying to say yeah like i one of the things um uh one of the things that you know by bringing by bringing him in as early as they did, I'm not going to say they brought him in super early because they didn't. They they pitted him in around the right time. It's just yep. the fact that if you're going to send him out on inters at that exact moment instead of putting him on the medium tire compound, it's difficult to put temperature into the intermediate tire. So if you go too early on that intermediate tire and there's not a lot of rain or standing water... Um, but the track is kind of dry, you run the risk of really, you know, driving a ton of heat through the tire and and just putting it over its edge too soon. Because once you start to get that, you know, what it's called thermal degradation, heating from on the inside, you're you're kind of screwed. So, you know, that was a difficult sort of window, I think, for the team to, to navigate. Um I think they just came up with the best option that they had because they didn't think it was going to rain as hard as it did on that outlap that he uh, that he went out on. Um, difficult weekend for for Lance Stroll. Oh, um, I know, I know. Man, like, whew, it was that was that was a tough one. I think just getting the confidence with the car in the first few sessions, and then finally getting that confidence, we saw what he could do in Q one. And then in Q2, he got damage to um, the floor of the car, and that compromised his entire Q2, and that's basically why he didn't advance to Q3. The team felt that he was fast enough to get to Q3 if it were not for the damage, because the damage um, disturbed the car a lot. But that being said, I mean, his Aston Martin held together pretty good during the race, man. <laughs> He's, he, <laughs> he was being aggressive. It was... Uh, it was good stuff. I think one of the things, just trying to get past, you know, Kevin Magnuson there for for a while. That that's tough. It's going to just hold your race up. And yeah, once you once you qualify that far back in in Monaco, it was always going to be difficult. 
Yeah, it, you know, the term recovery drive seems like uh, it's got yeah. a bit of a different meaning there because unless things go really, really, really well, uh, to even claw back to get like a point or two, like in sort of those bottom point pains position is about the, the very, very best that you can hope for. But it's too bad because, you know, if you looked at Lance, I mean, he was looking pretty racy there, but you look down, it's just like the battle for 14th or something like that. And it's just, it's it's a real shame because, you know, like you say, the pace was with the car, and I just wanted to ask you though. We were just you know just talking about the mm-hmm. interiors and not being able to generate uh, mm-hmm. enough energy and get it. Is is that kind of what we saw with Lance going into was it Portier or whatever it is going down that hairpin just before the tunnel where he just he went around the first hairpin and just kind of skidded off and hit the barrier because it looked like the car. I mean, obviously there's a lot of running water going down that uh, that that hill there, but it just it just looked like he turned the wheel and nothing happened until yeah, it was just too late. Not enough heat yeah, yeah not yeah. enough heat into the tire i mean it was um it's interesting to see i mean even if you're on for example like a slick tire you could see how fast everybody wanted to get off the slick tire once it started to rain only because it sucks the heat right out of the tire and then essentially you're losing all of that performance uh so it makes things very very difficult um for 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 drivers uh ferrari actually we'll go to mercedes because of where they ended up with actually let's go to esteban ocon you know why because he kicked some ass this weekend man he was <laughs> he did he that did. guy was incredible what'd yeah. you think I, I i thought it was great i thought it was really really good to see and i i couldn't help but uh, think you know looking today uh i was just i'm looking at the, the the results here so we got esteban in p3 at the end of the race got pierre gasly his teammate finishing p7 so not only do you have a like a podium but you have two cars in the top 10 at monaco and i couldn't help uh, but thinking you know d- does otmar go home tonight feeling like a little bit justified <laughs> after laurent rossi called him out in the media like was it two weeks yeah. ago basically yep. saying like the team is performing like crap and they're not doing what they you know we, we're expecting yep. them to do which, which is fair enough but i mean i mean esteban i mean i, I loved it i thought that uh, he drove a super race it, w- it was great to see him watch you know not just him but both alpines kind of out there and, and 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 fighting for something meaningful because this was a team we've kind of been expecting to kind of mix it up with the the top three four teams so it was nice to see them up there but yeah i, I gotta give him a lot of props for for what he did this weekend and to get on a podium in a place like monaco i mean he he kept his nose clean and he just i thought he just drove a really really good race yeah, and he had damage to his car from the hit with uh, Carlos Sainz, but he was able to he was able to keep it together for the for the remainder of the race. Did affect a bit of the performance of the car as well, but I think they boxed him at the right moment. Now, as for Pierre, it was was interesting. Um, he's extremely disappointed, and he was confused as well. Really, at the end of the race, yeah, especially with Alpine's strategy. And the strategy call that the team made, I think he felt that P3 with the rain coming in, you know, was for him the perfect scenario. But he, I think for him, he feels that the team could have achieved a P3 and P4 if um, if they had have thought about pitting him at a different time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they told the team, or sorry, excuse me, told the team he wanted to stay out when the rain started. And he didn't want to pit. Hmm. So that's interesting to hear that um, simply because Alpine has, as like you had mentioned, 
kind of been under the radar from upper management uh, in terms of the performance. But I think for Otmar Safnauer, you know, coming into to Alpine last season, it's been it's been tough from the standpoint that he's got to come in and kind of make this thing his own and to turn things around internally. And to do that, it takes years. It doesn't really take a few months. It takes a few years to do that. And by a few years, I mean probably four to five years for him to really uh, turn everything around. And, and I think like one of the things that he's done well is that he's actually designed and developed uh, with the team a great way of getting parts to the car as fast as possible. I remember last season, you know, they were Alpine. They were one of the teams that had the most turnover with parts where every single weekend they were bringing new components to the race car instead of just bringing these, you know, half big upgrades or really big upgrades to to the race cars. And I think for them that really worked because you can actually see them making improvements as the season kind of rolled along and now doing something similar, there are now other teams that are copying that um, philosophy. And one of those teams is Ferrari. They're doing something similar where they're, instead of it uh, uh, offering up a huge upgrade, they're bringing small upgrades at a time. I think that's a little bit more smarter because you can actually have an understanding of what you actually have. Unlike Mercedes, who brought a massive upgrade for this weekend. It was the upgrade they were supposed to bring for Imola. Um, Daly, what did you think of this thing? I mean, they don't really have a full scope on where it is in terms of performance. They're not going to get that until they get to Spain, like I've said in this podcast a million times. But George Russell, at the end of this thing, you know, told us he was kicking himself (laughs) because one small mistake costed him uh, a podium. What do you think about that? Well, you know, life's a game of inches, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. I, I, I just I did get a chance to follow it up, but I did see a quote this afternoon where Mercedes were reflecting, saying that the car now isn't awful; it's just simply not good. <laughs> so <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I guess that's progress. But it, it looks yeah. kind of funny to see now that the W14 has side pods after a year and a half of no side pods that they've finally gone away from that. But yeah, it, it, it's funny though. Just in general, it's just. Yeah, they didn't get on the podium. Mercedes, that that is. Ferrari didn't get on the podium. They were sort of kind of fairly anonymous, both teams, during the race. I mean, George only really kind of made the, the headlines because he was noted for possibly being in an incorrect starting position on the grid. And then once the rain started, you know, Lewis was saying, you know, it's, you know he said something about being too slippery. Maybe he should red, red flag this thing. And, you know, it just... You know, they weren't really, they just kind of filled the spots in between, right? <laughs> so I could yeah. see why, you know, like kind of like you, you look where the two, um, the, the two Mercedes, Hamilton fourth, George fifth, and then you got uh, Leclerc in sixth, and then Gasly. You can kind of see now, like, uh, or like I, I could put the pieces together with like uh, Pierre's comments that he feels like they could have the, both those Alpines in P3 or four, at least both in the top five, because I thought it was a fairly anonymous race from, from both of them, but. You know, I mean, if George feels like a, a podium got away from him, that's that's fair enough. I don't know if I, I, I still think Esteban would have had the better of him. I really do. Lewis still feels the upgrades have gone in a positive direction. At least that's what he said post race. Yep. Um, but it's a huge result for them, nonetheless. Shocking, really. I I didn't expect to see Hamilton or Russell that high up at the end of this race. Um, 
and yeah, I agree with you. You know, Russell thinking he could have been on the podium or P three, I think, might have been a <laughs> bit of a might have been a bit of a stretch. I mean, Carlos Sainz was uh, pretty fast yeah. this weekend. Um, Charles Leclerc, this guy can't catch a break. Gets a <laughs> penalty for for uh, impeding Lando Norris in the tunnel on Saturday in qualifying, so he gets a three place grid drop. So, I mean, the, the guy's got no luck at his home race. Daily finishes P six in the race, but you, I got, I feel bad for him. I just do. I know I shouldn't, but I do. <laughs> I know I sometimes feel the same way about like Charles because I mean I, I just feel that once the cork comes out of that bottle there, there's no looking back we're talking about him in the same way like winning races that we talk about Max or like Lewis or any of these these other top drivers and he is a top driver there's no doubt about it but it just seems that I don't know karma's got it in for Charles Leclerc at Ferrari it just it, it just seems one way or another something always comes back and, and bites him it's either the car it's the strategy it's something he does himself it's just like it just it, it seems like there's always something going on because you gotta think out of all the 20 something races on the circuit like you say this is yeah. his hometown race he grew up there I, I'm sure he could like drive around that track with his eyes closed and, and still throw down eye-wateringly fast uh, race or sorry lap times but you know like after the last uh, two years you know qualified on pole I think going into this week is like man is this the year that Charles finally pulls it off and then you know pretty quick that became yeah odds probably aren't going to go his way unless something dramatic happens during the race to shake everything and flip it up which you know we almost saw but it didn't really get that that crazy out on the track Charles Leclerc P6 his teammate Carlos Sainz P8 um, Carlos has every right, I think, during this race to be frustrated with his team. I think at some point there was a way that science gets a podium in this race. He felt that he could have gotten a podium in this race at the same time. But again, daily Ferrari strategy just really doing in their own driver. I what to say about this team like <laughs> oh so i know frustrating man like i if you look like fred fred vassour is brought in as team principal back in january it's been almost five months there's been heavy turnover at the team been a lot of restructuring behind the scenes which is fine that's what you know as a new team principal coming in that's what you got to do but when one of the main reasons you're brought in is for the mistakes that have been happening, how are these mistakes still happening? It's like the strategy right? department is is just not confident with what they're doing anymore. Like I don't, I don't understand it. Like it doesn't make any sense to me because you're Ferrari, you're a world class team. It doesn't make sense to me, man. Like I think. I think they 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 dropped the ball on this one in terms of trying like getting this podium. I think they could have had a podium today and they just they lost out on it. Yeah, I don't know what, what what do we say now that we haven't said before like many many times over the course of a number of years but again, sure, like Fred comes in in January. So, what can he have an influence on that's going to make a difference immediately? The car? No. The car is 
basically all done and ready to go, ready to hit the track for testing in Bahrain at the you know for preseason yep. testing, right? Organizationally, sure, you can start making some changes, but you know, you're you can like how quick are you gonna be able to lure the organization to decide that, okay, this needs to be reorganized. We gotta get rid of those people. We need to bring in more people over here to help these people do whatever they're doing, whatever it is. So that takes time to analyze like the structure and the workflows and the whole culture of the company and the, the or sorry, the team and stuff like that. But the one thing you would think the one area that he could have immediate influence upon is the stuff that's happening in the garage on the pit wall. These these calls that are you know that they're you know the the essence of what their plan is on a Sunday and and that's what I don't understand because you know if you go and read Ross Braun's book Total Competition he always treated every job as like a three-year project the first year you're in there to learn the organization second year you go and you start making the changes in year three you you expect like those seeds to start poking out of the ground and you got something to work with so I understand like those bigger changes might take some time but yeah I the like those, you know, these like these calls that we still see them making that just don't make, you know, make any sense. It's just uh, to me, I'm like, why do they not see what everybody else sees? <laughs> you know, it's just like, and they're the ones with all the data. They're with uh, it's their cars. It's just like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say at this point. I really don't. <sighs> it's a big sigh. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw, I'll finish up that, that thought with, uh, you know, cause you've got that big <sighs> exasperated you know, sigh there, frustration, Tim. I mean, is that, I, it... I, you know, Carlos on the radio when they're telling him the gap to Hamilton, he's just bleep this, bleep, bleep, bleep. I don't care about <laughs> Hamilton because yeah. Hamilton's behind me. I think that kind of summed up the frustration. <laughs> yeah, no, I, He's right. Um, let's talk about McLaren. Yep. Both drivers scoring points. Lando Norris coming home P9. Oscar Piastri P10. Really solid stuff from McLaren. And they're starting to get back into this thing. Now, Lando Norris, he doesn't think, you know, they're... Like, he, he doesn't even think it's possible at this moment to take any fight to Alpine. Because hmm. they're about a half a second, I believe he said, faster than McLaren... In qualifying, but it's been so far a pretty good recovery by them, considering how they started the season daily. I mean, they've managed to do quite nicely over the last little bit here. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'd say in general, I'm a little disappointed with like a little sort of like a, a little touch of frustration but i mean it's it's trending in the right direction i mean the first mm-hmm. couple of races you know right out of the shoot here at the beginning of the season was just like Ooh, if this is what we're going to see from mclaren this year this is going to be a long year for mclaren yeah. but i mean like you say they're they're slowly working their way back into this thing and to get both cars into the points a double fo- a points finish this weekend i think that's really solid i mean if lando's uh you know if if he's aware of that and, and you know that seems like okay we got a half a second that we got to close with Alpine. Okay, maybe that's something that you can focus on, something you can work on, but, you know, celebrate the successes where you have them and then focus on the next target uh, down the road. So I think that's something that's uh, workable. I mean, half a second, you know, I mean, I know in racing terms, that's that's quite a bit, but also, I mean, Alpine doesn't seem like a team that's really, 
you know, been out developing or, or out performing anyone else. So to me, that seems like a bit of a, a doable uh, target. So I, I would hope that they take the, you know, the last couple of performances, especially today, and kind of build on that going forward because we got a lot of racing coming up, Tim, despite some of the cancellations we've seen. There's a heck of a long way to go before we get to Abu Dhabi at the end of the year, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a ton of racing, and that is something that we should all take note of because, I mean, even though Verstappen has a massive lead, so does Red Bull, and they'll probably hold on to all of that. But at the end of the day, you know, these teams are going to claw back all of this performance. Uh, These teams are definitely going to start closing the gap down down to Red Bull and also each other. McLaren has another big upgrade that will be coming before the summer break. And then they're going to have another big upgrade coming after summer break. Alfa Romeo is a team that actually has rebounded quite nicely lately. Uh, Vel- mm-hmm. Valtteri Bottas coming home P11. And uh, Zhou Guanyu coming home 13th. I'm actually quite surprised to see how well they've been able to bounce back. I mean, they actually looked pretty solid when they were in Miami. And I actually didn't think they were going to be this quick this soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to take a bit longer. Yeah, no, that, that's good to see as well because you know, like Alfa Romeo, like is a team that I think we're going to see that this team has like a bit of an identity crisis over the next couple of years, right? Because they're Alfa Romeo right now, and then in twenty twenty six they're going to be Audi, and then in between they're going to be something else, you know. So I assume that maybe it's going to revert back to Sauber or something like that before it becomes like Audi proper in twenty twenty six, and. I know there's, you know, a long way before like Audi kind of really makes their stamp really felt on this program, but I can't help but think at some point before this becomes like an out and out true works team that, that it's going to benefit from the, the Audi relationship or oversight mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it, the arrangement mm-hmm. until this becomes like, like the, the proper works team a couple of years down the road. It, it's interesting, right? I mean, again, like, uh, just like McLaren after the first couple of races, <laughs> I was thinking for Alpha is the same thing. Ooh, this is going to be a long season for these guys as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I I wouldn't, uh, you know, consider where they started from. I wouldn't turn my nose up at P11 and P13. You know, it's yeah, progress. Absolutely not. They're, they're going yeah, in, they're absolutely. trending in the right direction, yep. which is important. I'll just uh, roll through this pretty quickly here. Uh, Nick DeVries, P12. Um, not bad result for Nick. Alexander Albon, P14. Uh, Yuki Sonoda was in the points and was driving one hell of a weekend. He ended up coming home. Uh, P15, so uh, sucks for Yuki. Uh, Sergio, we had mentioned P16. Nico Hulkenberg, uh, P17. Interesting news about um, Haas that actually had had come out from, I believe it was Racing News 365, and um, it was earlier on Sunday morning, and they tweeted out that... Uh, Quote, Alfa Romeo are set to join Haas in a title deal for 2024. Racing News 365 has learnt the deal could rise to as much as $20 million per annum after the Sauber deal ends after the 2023 season. Now, that's, that's interesting. From, yeah, that's coming from Racing News 365. Um, haven't heard anything else on that, so... Not too sure where it sits, but they're reporting it, so I don't know. What do you think? I mean, 
it only makes sense, uh, obviously, because Haas has the relationship with Ferrari and Alfa Romeo is a part of the Ferrari FCA brand, so it only kind of fits, I would say. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, as soon as, like, the whole Sauber like Audi thing became you know like official it just kind of made sense or it was logical that why would Alpha you know still be involved they can't be involved at this point you know but uh, it seems like a logical tie-in considering that like Haas has real estate inside the Marinello facility and there there is a pretty close uh, working relationship uh, between the teams you know like what, what I do find interesting is that that you know the Alpha Romeo partnership that they have with 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 Sauber is basically it's just a branding exercise they're not putting any mm-hmm. like like resources or anything in there so just from a pure marketing point of view i find it interesting that they're you know should this uh, bear fruit and this should become a reality that you know they're still willing to and they're still interested into pumping in that sort of uh, money into into formula one but it'd be, be a great win for us that would be a, a pretty cool tie-up for them to get so who knows yeah, definitely T- top them up on the cost cap for sure uh yep. logan Sargent. P18, he had a tough race. And Kevin Magnuson, P19, DNF, and we already talked about Lance Stroll. So let's move over to IndyCar. If you didn't see it, the 107th running of the Indy 500 from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, Daly, what did you think? I mean, this was... uh, such an awesome race. <laughs> oh, man, it was good, so right? good. Yeah. I, I mean... so good. You don't have to be a fan of IndyCar to sit down and watch the 500. It is just like... Uh, it, it's like appointment TV. It's like the Super Bowl, right? It's just like you got to block off that time on you know that the last Sunday in May to sit down and watch the 500. And boy, yeah. did this race not disappoint. I mean, there was action as soon as they went racing and it pretty much kept up uh, the entire time that entire 500 miles it was it was great i really enjoyed it i mean the end man that end was it was crazy it was so chaotic i mean cars going all over the place there was what three restarts to and what two red flags flags, at the end there but boy what what an exciting finish and man hats off to joseph newgarden i mean that move that he threw right at the end there perfectly timed i mean boy i mean you you couldn't you couldn't you could plan it any better if you tried it was amazing the i i saw i found it you know interesting that he that so the move at the end so when so if those want to go back and watch it or just go and watch the highlights the move that new garden does at the end when they're coming out of turn four so the last turn at ims he kind of snakes down towards pit lane but what he's doing is he's snaking and he's actually crossing the um solid white line pit entry line and so last year marcus erickson did something similar and they called it the dragon because simon paginode was one of the first ones to actually really do it and indycar didn't penalize them for it Hmm. and so now since they're bolting on so much more downforce onto the indycars they're having to try and find ways of breaking the toe and so when you're coming to the start-finish line to take the checkered flag in the Indy 500 and you've got someone right on your ass, Newgarden does the snake, the, the dragon thing. So he goes and he crosses the pit lane, the white line, and uh, that's just enough to break uh, the toe from Mark Erickson. It's a controversial move, though, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the thing is, is that IndyCar, they're, they're not going to penalize it, but at the same time, I know the drivers are like, 
look, you're going to have to call it fair for everybody. So if you're if you're not going to call it, you know, for Erickson, if you're not going to call it now for Newgarden, then you can't call it a penalty. So I'd be interested to see what happens next time we return to the Indy 500 if that's not a penalty because at some points it looks awfully dangerous and at the same time, I mean, you're kind of going over the pit lane rules at that point and it yeah. gets a little well especially i, I don't, don't know, know if you saw the one replay of um the the last lap there like i i think the camera must be at the end like the the end the inside end of pit lane because it's going backwards like up pit lane towards past start finish and when you see them come around turn four back into the start finish straight there and you see them all whip over there like that i mean maybe it's just the camera angle but it looks really really extreme compared to some of the other different camera angles that you have like around the track i mean that one i thought was really cool because you see when he comes in around turn four and like whips down down and back up and then on to start finish there it, it it looks i mean it is dramatic i mean it's, it's crazy stuff marcus erickson wasn't happy at the end of the race because they decided to you know restart it with you know essentially one lap to to run and i think for for erickson one of the things that's upsetting him the most was you know obviously when they threw that last red flag he was in the lead um so again you know being in the lead at that moment actually is kind of working against you because you Mm -hmm. have the other cars that are in your toe and they're going to have a better advantage if they're able to go flat out through you know the last few corners on cold tires and that's the driver having to risk doing that and new garden did and so erickson lost so erickson's upset from the fact that they did that because he felt this dangerous in a few different scenarios but one of them being not having enough tire temperature in the tire. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is going to happen to... This has happened to other drivers in the past. right? He's not the only one. He's not going to be the last one. And this is just the way it is. And you finish second. And that's... Yeah. What, you just got to deal with it, man. Like, that's yeah. what it is. This is car it's, racing and that's yep. IndyCar. Yeah, that's that's the nature of the beast. But I mean, you you can see why he would be like kind of ticked off about it. I mean, he was For literally sure. inches away from repeating as uh, as as winner of the Indy Five Hundred. So you can understand why the emotion yeah. is is high and why he'd be upset about it. But definitely, as cruel as it sounds, it's just like, you, dude, you just got to move on. <laughs> you know, yeah, the, the you know, I mean, you can't hold anything against Joseph Newgarden. I mean, he just there there is limited time, and I mean. I was on my feet watching it at home. I think everyone around the track was on their feet watching it. It was just exciting, especially after we had a couple of those false starts there. It's like, we're going to have 10 laps of sprint, and they got whittled down to like seven laps or whatever it was. And it's like, we're going to have one lap of racing to sort out the winner of the the, the 500 this year. And it was pretty crazy, but, you know. So good, man. Yeah. So good. I had to Um, to go for a nap afterwards. I was way too overstimulated. (laughs) Uh, Some really great drives out there today i yep. i can't touch on all of them because we just don't have the time but santino ferrucci for for yes. aj foyt racing incredible drive uh good for good for uh, aj foyt racing uh well deserved shame they didn't get to win that would have been an incredible story i believe it's yep. been like 24 years or something like that since a foyt car um last one been that 500. long 
Yeah, wow. I believe it was Kenny. Wow. It was, it was Kenny, Kenny Brack, I believe. I, remember I was going to say, really was well, AJ so. himself still driving? <laughs> no, I mean, like, yeah, for those who don't know, I mean, the guy who owns the team is also an Indy 500 legend. Um, but he yeah, raced he, until he was pretty old, you know, by, like, did he race into his 50s or something like that? Oh, I have no idea, man. It seemed like but that yeah, guy I, was around was forever in a, like, for a, in a car. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alex Pillow, doing obviously starting on pole and then getting taken out by Renus VK <laughs> during a pit stop. I mean, talk about bad luck, right? Like, I think Alex could have really been in the mix for the win, but recovering yep. to finish P4 is still nonetheless extremely impressive. Yep. And um, Alexander Rossi coming home, P5. Scott Dixon, P6. Takuma Sato, P7. Connor Daly, P8. Great drive from him. Colton Herta as well, P9. Colton uh, recovering from his run-in with Roman Grosjean in pit lane. And what the hell was Grosjean thinking? Like, I don't know. That was I, just like, that was like the <laughs> ultimate head scratch. I mean, I mean, it's, it's got to be the, like the ultimate sin in motor racing is taking out your teammates. <laughs> so, I mean, what's the only thing you could do worse than that? Take your teammate out yeah. in pit lane? But yeah, I, mean, I feel bad for Roman too, because yeah. he's had a rough, he's had a rough season. He's been yeah. in some positions to win and it just hasn't gone right for him just yet. But I have a feeling he's going to be able to capture a win at some point this season. He's he's right in the neighborhood, you know, Daly. Every single race he's been he's been right there. He's been just knocking on that door. Uh, and Renus VK coming home in uh, P10, finishing off the top ten. That was a, an incredible Indy 500. If you didn't see it, try and find a way of rewatching it. Maybe head on over to uh, TSN. And checking out uh, race replay if there is one. We have some Twitter questions from Double Waved Yellow. Have we jumped the shark on needing to finish under green at all costs? Artificially instituted green flag finishes too often feel more competitively unsatisfactory than a full course yellow safety car finish. I can't help feel it's gone a bit too far. Um, look, you have people who show up to watch a car race and you're wanting to make sure the on-track entertainment and spectacle is entertaining and is a spectacle at the same time is it still a sport yes it is because they're having to still race each other so i understand what you're saying but at the same time i disagree because if you go down and you Take, for instance, um, I was watching it with some people. And when that last red flag came out, they were like, there's no way they can end this epic race like this. And and that is from people who don't always tune into IndyCar, don't always tune into motorsports, and don't always tune into the Indy 500. And those are the people you need to like also want to get on board to watch your sport daily thoughts yeah totally like uh, i i understand the and appreciate the uh, perspective but that's i think you just nailed it it's just like it was a great race and i mean nor under normal circumstances we're not going to see that many red flags at the at the end of the race <clears throat> i mean it you know you we've seen it before where we have like somebody goes into the wall or there's a crash or whatever in the closing stages of the race but i mean it was just I don't know. It just lent something to this race today. And I couldn't help mm -hmm. but thinking too, man, it's just like, man, this would be a real shame if they 
finished behind uh, the, the the safety car, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 brought mm-hmm. it across to, to the checkered flags that way. I mean. I don't know. Say if um, you know there was like another legitimate reason that the weather was bad. It started raining. They thought, well, you know, instead of calling the race, we want to just finish behind the safety car. Okay, well, maybe sure, but I like I, I understand, but still, you know, two laps of racing to decide like the winner and like like basically like like a two lap shootout. I think is for for me a lot more rewarding than just kind of cruising behind the safety car for a couple yeah. laps, just knowing okay. Pato is going to win this one, or Joseph, or you know Colton, whoever, right? Just uh, mm-hmm. it becomes anticlimactic, and you know I think it sometimes works against you. I mean, we've seen Formula One have you know lots of criticism for you know similar situations, right? You know, or I guess Belgium was a completely different thing with behind the safety car for two laps in the extreme rain. But yeah, I I, I don't. I think I think they made the right call. It's just there was too many guys, to, you know, had incidents right in those last. 10, 15, especially the last 10 laps that mm-hmm. I think just maybe, you know, exacerbated things or maybe, you know, makes, you know, it brings the topic up. But I think it's a good topic mm-hmm. to talk about. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, from Parth Lad, Adrian Newey had the 1,000 yard stare going when Perez <laughs> crashed during qualifying. How much do you think Red Bull is concerned by having their floor on full display to the other teams? Will this affect the development war over the course of the next few months? That is a great question. That's, and you yeah, are that's... absolutely right. It is yep. going to for sure. Do you know how much those photographers are getting paid for those photos <laughs> right now? Yeah. A ridiculous amount. And good for them because yeah. they deserve it. Let me tell you something. The floor of that entire Red Bull, even I was picking it apart. I was like zooming in on all the photos, <laughs> like checking this thing out. And I'm like, wow, you know, this thing is incredible. So, yeah, you can bet that there are people out there, especially the teams that are breaking that down. I bet you they started on Saturday night daily. Oh yeah, for the photographers that that have like those original high resolution like yeah. pictures, like they're they're making some bank right now, and good oh, for them, yeah. like you say. But oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, the thousand yard stare because Dewey was upset. <laughs> I mean, but but just like I mean, apart from giving you know like showing that floor to the entire world, which is the last thing that they would have wanted. I mean, there's the other thing too. Is I mean, he starts at the back of the grid. You know, he had a terrible race. He wasn't in it. Like, you know, maybe. He had a shot at getting some points here and there, but I mean, Fernando's only twelve points behind Sergio mm-hmm. in the in the in the drivers' championship. Max, I think, has like one hundred and forty something points. Sergio has one hundred and five. Fernando is ninety three, and then there is quite a bit of daylight between himself and then what is it? Uh, is Lewis fourth in the championship? I think he is. Anyways, but I mean, I'm looking at that now. It's like I've been enjoyed watching Fernando and what he's been doing this year, but it's like. Okay, he's not going to catch Max, but he could he could certainly catch Sergio. So like yeah. it's on. <laughs> it's on and that's that that's going to be fun to watch, man. I think that's going to be great. 100%, man. I think this this could change everything. Like this could claw like teams can claw back so much performance now after getting a good hard look at what's going on underneath there it was awesome yeah. um daily thanks very much man for doing this really appreciate it let everybody Anytime. know what you got going on and uh where they can find you so you can find us on uh, apple Podcasts, spotify we're the scootery f1 podcast two shows a week fridays and sundays and then you can also find us on twitter scootery f1 pod 
and it was awesome. Loved it, man. Loved the chance to finally sit down and talk some indie with you because it yeah. seems every time we do it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch the race, but 500, like I say, it's appointment television. It's a must watch. It is awesome. Thanks very much, man, for your time. Really appreciate it. I'm Tim Haraney. If you want more from me, you can get me on social media at Tim Haraney. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts. Write a review. Let us know how we're doing because it helps us a lot. We'll be back later on this week. We'll talk to you all then.